What a wild trade deadline. 72 prospects got moved. Let's talk about who did the buying, who did the selling, and who's going to regret letting go of certain prospects. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer for Sports Illustrated. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. And this was a particularly active trade deadline as we continue to try to break this down here on Thursday. Uh, So like I said, 72 prospects got moved. And if you were wondering, that is higher than normal. Uh, Part of it is you had a Juan Soto deal. So... Obviously, that was going to take a lot of guys. Um, but it's interesting to kind of go back and look to see who gave up the most prospects and who received the most prospects to try to figure out who did work. Like, for instance, and I'll get into this more in the second segment, but the Padres obviously gave up a lot. I mean, they gave up nine prospects and all of their deals between Hayter and Soto and Bell and everybody else. The Twins gave up nine prospects. A little bit quieter, but Twins gave up a lot, and we'll break that down in the second segment. But, you know, a lot of guys, a couple teams did some stuff, but it wasn't as bad as you would have thought. So, for instance, the Yankees gave up eight prospects. Now, obviously, they they made a lot of trades, right? I mean, they got Andrew Benatendi, Uh, They got Frankie Montes, they got Lou Trevino to close, they got two other relievers, Scott Efrost, Clayton Beaker. I mean, they got plenty of guys, right? But the thing here is, it was okay because, one, for a few reasons. One, they saved some of the top prospects. They didn't trade an Oswald Peraza, they didn't trade an Anthony Volpe, they didn't trade a Jason Dominguez. So they kept their top prospects, uh, including guys who you'll Dominguez isn't in that group, but guys that you'll see sooner rather than later in a Peraza and then a Volpe. And then two, the Yankees' 40-man roster was full. And they were going to have quite a few guys that had to get put on the 40-man roster at the end of the season. So one of the ways with which they answered the questions about who do you protect and who do you get rid of and who do you not protect for the Rule 5 draft is you trade them. So, nine guys were supposed to hit the Yankees' 40-man roster um, at the end of the season. Or, you know, you had to make a 40-man decision on them. Ken Waterchuk got traded. Hayden Wineski got traded. Um, I believe Anthony Stigler got moved, too. And so, like, you, you cut out some of those decisions and made it so that it's easier now when Rule, 40 time, rule 5 time comes to make those decisions and figure out who's going to stick around and who's going to move. Um, they only gave up one prospect that was that they drafted earlier than the fourth round, and that was TJ Sakima. And so it's something where, like, yes, you gave up a lot of guys. You gave up eight guys, but you cleared some 40-man spots or some you didn't have to give up somebody else off your 40-man for this guy, and you didn't, Spend and you didn't give up anybody who was taken high in the draft that was seen as being a, 
integral part of this franchise going forward. You know, counter that with a team like the Twins. Twins gave up multiple guys in their top 30. Um, and I mean, including two top 15 prospects and a top 10 prospect. So you gave up a lot and you have to kind of question, is the return they got worth it? Um, seven prospects that were in the top 100 for all of baseball got traded. Uh, C.J. Abrams, Robert Hassel, James Wood was all the same deal, the Padres deal. Uh, Noel V. Marte was traded to the Reds as part of the Luis Castillo deal. Um, we've talked about him. So was shortstop Edwin Arroyo. And he's not a guy that we've talked a ton about. Number two prospect in the Mariners system. And it's because he absolutely broke out this year. So got 21 games last year in rookie ball after being a second round draft pick. 211, 337, 324. So not a ton of buzz. He was seeing, oh yeah, he's a defensive first infielder. And there were questions. And it's early. It was early. 21 game sample. But this year, 87 games in low A. 316, 385, 514. 13 home runs. Uh, 39 extra base hits. And then 35 walks to 90 strikeouts. Stole 21 of 25 bases. So, answered some of the questions about the hitting. I mean, he's a switch hitter, but the questions were about what would his power do? Looks like the power is showing up a little bit. Um, actually, a switch thrower, which I don't necessarily know. I mean, he's a shortstop, so he's usually throwing with his right hand, but I'm assuming he works on the left-hand stuff time to time. But um, breakout kind of player rose to probably a top three prospect in the system when he got moved. A guy we haven't really talked a lot about. Um, he kind of got buried by, behind Noel B. Marte, but another like no doubt shortstop that is now entering this red system, a system that we've had conversations about. Are they going to find the sh- the the shortstop of the future? Is it Ellie De La Cruz? Is it Jose Barrera? I mean, they've got they've got a lot of options now. Um, Noel B. Marte is a guy that we think may have to move off of third, and if he does, that's fine. Because again, you've got Matt McClain, you've got Jose Barrera, you've got Ellie De La Cruz, you just got Edwin Arroyo. You have multiple options for guys that project out they should be able to stay at short. Um, James Wood, I mentioned him, part of that Padres trade. Spencer Steer, uh, part of the Twins trade to the, to the Reds for Tyler Molly. Another top 100 guy we haven't talked a lot about but surprisingly got moved is catcher Logan O'Hop got moved from the uh, from the Phillies to the Angels in the Noah Syndergaard deal. So, theoretically, the Angels have now found their catcher of the future. I mean, he's going to be able to, to sometime soon, come up and, and play behind the dish for the Angels for a while. Um, you know, 2018, 23rd round pick out of high school. Just... Um, Spent this year at Double A uh, in in Reading, Pennsylvania, two seventy five, three ninety two, four ninety six, fifteen home runs, uh, forty one walks to fifty two strikeouts, stole six bases, which not something you think about catchers doing, but part of Logan O'Hop's game. Uh, and so, something where offensively he's working on um, pitch recognition, working on his swing path, working on um, 
the approach, bat-to-ball skills, things like that. But it's something where defensively, he absolutely appears to be a plus defensive catcher. Offensively, he seems to have caught up to where the defense is. And so you kind of go back and you look and you say, well, what did the Angels have for catchers? It's like they had Edgar Cuero. He's in their top 10. Um, He's also on his second season in low A at age 19. Like there just wasn't a lot of high-level catching depth in this system. And so you're able to go out and get a top 100 guy for a pitcher that was on a one-year deal, on a prove-it deal with Noah Syndergaard. And side note, I don't understand why more teams don't do this. I need more teams to go out and sign veteran pitchers to one-year deals. Because if nothing else, you can flip them at the deadline. Jose Quintana, flipped by the Pirates. Noah Syndergaard, flipped by the Angels. Like, they're, they're paying a little more for him than a typical um, you know, veteran minimum pitcher would be. But still... I don't see why every team who isn't sure if they're going to win the World Series or not doesn't go out and sign a couple veteran pitchers that they can flip at the deadline. It just doesn't make sense to me. Like, the Rockies traded nobody. You had veteran pitchers you could have flipped for prospects, and instead, nothing. And just a minute, I do want to break down uh, the Twins haul and the Mets haul because I think there's a surprising angle to the Mets haul that you're not taking or you're not looking at. But... First, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Blue Nile. Uh, Whether you're ready to pop the question or you're celebrating a milestone moment, find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. So if you want to build the engagement ring of her dreams, Blue Nile has simple online tools that let you choose the diamond shape, size, and clarity, as well as the setting style. And then Blue Nile's bench jewelers will handcraft her perfect engagement ring, and each ring is one of a kind. Or if you want to celebrate life's special moments with fine jewelry, but you're having trouble choosing, Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7. They are available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift at every budget. So, make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com. Going on right now is the Blue Nile Anniversary Sale. Save up to 40% on classic fine jewelry pieces and 25% on engagement ring settings. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that will not give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. Okay, so the Twins. The Twins are one of those teams that are kind of in the middle of what do people, like where do we, you know, see grades or so for the trade deadline. So they went out. They got relief pitcher Jorge Lopez. They traded four pitching prospects to get him. Uh, they went to the Tigers. They got relief pitcher Michael Fulmer. And they, this was a good trade. They traded one kind of French prospect, uh, right-hand pitcher Sawyer Gibson Long, to get him. And then they traded starting pitcher Tyler Molly, or they traded for him with the Reds. And like I talked about yesterday, three top 25 prospects to get him as well as catcher Sandy Leone uh, from the Guardians. They flipped a prospect over there for that. And it's something where I think when you look at what's going on you, with the division, uh, everybody thinks that the Twins had a good trade deadline because they made more space between them and the White Sox and Guardians, who didn't really do anything. The Guardians flipped a catcher. Uh, the White Sox, I think, gave up maybe 
I think they traded like a reliever. I mean, they, they virtually did nothing. Um, and so I'm going to counter that you gave up nine prospects. Three of them were in your top 25, including one top 10 guy. And you didn't markedly improve the October outcomes of this club. So you got a starting pitcher, you got two, two relievers, but none of these guys really are going to have a massive impact, I feel like, in October. You're still probably going to make the postseason. You're winning the league in the division right now. You are one of the only teams that got better. So maybe you give yourself a 5% cushion on making the division now. You're 5% better odds than you had before of making the division. But you gave up a top 100 prospect in Spencer Steer. And then you gave up, you gave up, uh, you know, a tier two prospect in Steven Hadger to the Reds. You gave up a second tier prospect in Christian Encarnacion Strand, like a guy that is on the cusp of the top 100, like two guys on the cusp of the top 100 and would probably slot into most teams' top 10 lists. You gave up two of those guys. And then you gave up a couple other prospects that had a path. Like Kate Povich, who went to the Orioles in the Jorge Lopez deal, had a path. Wasn't necessarily assured, guaranteed of making it, but had a path. And so something where I'm kind of not sure that you made the right spins of your capital. I think it ends, it ends, at the end of the day, it was an overpay. Because you gave up better prospects than you helped yourself with your chances of going deeper in the postseason. Because I feel pretty confident with the expanded playoffs, you were going to make the postseason. But now, did you markedly improve your chances of going deep in the postseason? I don't think you did. A team that may have actually done a surprisingly good job with the draft, and I don't say that sarcastically, I'm being serious, is the Mets. So you look at its face, and it's like, what exactly did they do here? They got Tyler Naquin, the outfielder, to be a fourth outfielder and a left-handed bat. They got right-hand pitcher Michael Givens as a relief option. They got a backup catcher and a pitching prospect. And then they got first baseman Darren Ruff and DH Daniel Vogelback. And you look at that, and it's kind of underwhelming. Like, we thought they would trade for Contreras, or they, we thought they would trade for Josh Bell, because they needed the DH. So I'm going to give you this. You put Darren Ruff against lefties and Daniel Vogelback against righties. You put them together and they collectively represent a better DH than either Josh Bell or Wilson Contreras would have been. And they were cheaper. So... Pros and cons to this, right? This is the Billy Bean and Moneyball approach. I mean, if you remember the book or the movie, um, I can like I can still hear Brad Pitt saying, like, guys, we're still trying to replace Giambi. I told you we can't do it, and we can't do it. But what, what we might be able to do is recreate him in the aggregate. This is what you're doing. So Darren Ruff against lefties. 252, 364, 523 is the slash line. Daniel Vogelbeck against righties. 267, 382, 524. So, Ruff is good against lefties. Vogie is good against righties. Um, I'm going to cherry pick the better stat line of the two for Contreras and Bell. Bell against righties. 311, 
399, 492. So the batting average is 30 points better. The on base is about 30 points. I'm sorry, it's about 10 points better, 15 points better. And the uh, the slugging is about 30 points lower. Uh, William Contreras against William, yeah, against lefties, 263, 379. 625. I'll give you that one. The slugging's ridiculous. 625. But 263 to 252, 379 to 364. So batting average on base, very similar. So you you built yourself an 85% version of Josh Bell or Daniel Vogelback. I'm sorry, Josh Bell or Contreras. You saved the prospect capital it would take to get either one of those guys. And you have a collective equivalent to an all-star DH. Uh, these guys together equal 261, 364, 523 slash line with 21 home runs, 51 RBIs. I mean, an 887 OPS right there. Now, this is not completely in a vacuum. I mean, you, you saved prospects by doing this. You saved the, the, you didn't have to give up your Alvarez. You didn't have to give up your Vientos, you know, you're some of your top name prospects. You do have to lose and have to sacrifice another roster spot. So instead of having a fourth outfielder with tons of speed and amazing defense, you can throw out there late in games, use them as a pinch runner and extras and things like that. You've got Daniel Vogelback, who is at best a below average defensive first baseman and a DH. And you've got Darren Ruff, who theoretically can play in the outfield, but I think it's pretty much confined to first base duties now. So you lose a roster spot. You lose a little bit of versatility at your big league level, but you've recreated the production of an all-star DH with less prospect, with significantly less prospect capital to do it. So I think once you look at it from that perspective, it was a good trade deadline for the Mets. They filled the biggest need on that team, plus they got... The Grom back, which never hurts any roster. So you have to feel good about the Mets. Uh, whatever the Braves do, or the Phillies, the Mets making the playoffs and having the lineup to make a run. In just a minute, I want to talk about some of the historical precedents to this giant Juan Soto trade. Um, there's nothing that's been quite, like, that's been as big as this, but there's been some that have been close to this size. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. Um, if you've not tried the puffs, you are missing out. And the new flavor is cookie dough chunk puffs. Light and chewy texture, real cookie dough chunks, covered in 100% real chocolate. It's all the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it. Plus, it is good for you. A cookie dough chunk puffs are 160 calories, 15 grams of protein. And they taste good because 100% real chocolate. They're healthy and they're tasty. It's chocolate-covered cookie dough with a light, fluffy texture. So go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That's promo code LOCKED15 at Built.com. Okay, so the Juan Soto trade, massive trade. We know that. Um, shout out to the, the boys over at Baseball America. I think it was Kyle Glazer and JJ Cooper. Had a great piece came up about there's not much precedent for the Juan Soto trade. So looking at some of the past mega deals that you've seen, they all have some sort of qualifier, right? So uh, 2007, Miguel Cabrera goes from the Marlins to the Tigers. 
Uh, and the return there, I mean, in similar situation, he's already won a World Series. He's still like 23, 24 years old. Not to the level of a Juan Soto, but very good player. Um, cl- closer to free agency. But that was two top 100 prospects. It was Andrew Miller and Cameron Maybin. And then three pitchers. Uh, Burke Badenhop, Dallas Trahern, Frankie De La Cruz, and a prospect catcher, Mike Ribello. Uh, the only two guys that m- had significant MLB time was Miller and Maybin. So Marlins definitely, I guess, technically lost that trade because I don't think either one of those guys did a bunch of stuff with the Marlins. I think they moved and went somewhere else. So, yeah, two top 10 overall prospects, but no young big leaguers in the deal. Uh, None of the other prospects came in the top 100. And then the Tigers also took back a bad contract in Dontrell Willis. So they got a negative asset back, whereas the uh, the Padres got a positive asset in Josh Bell. Uh, The other one is the 07 deadline trade between the Rangers and the Braves. And for the Braves, this trade was a disaster, okay? So, uh, it's Mark Teixeira, first baseman, and then a lefty reliever, Ron Mahay, I think. And you got three top 100 prospects, catcher Jared Saltalamacchia, him with the longest name in baseball, uh, shortstop Elvis Andrews, lefty Matt Harrison, so all top 100 guys, and then righty pitcher Nefetelli Feliz, who became a top 100 the next year, and a top 15 in the system in lefty Bo Jones. So three top 100 prospects, a future top 100 prospect. Difference here is uh, the Padres sent all of that, plus a graduated young big leaguer. Um, and two of the, the, the Padres guys are top 25 in baseball, uh, C.J. Abrams and Robert Hassel. So... And if you kind of keep going back in history, you can find big deals, but there's all some sort of qualifier. So the Mets trade for Mike Piazza, again from the Marlins in 1998, had three top 100 prospects. Lefty Ed Yarnell, uh, outfielder Preston Wilson, and lefty Jeff Gates. But they were all back half of the 100. Padres gave two top 25s and another guy who would be in the top 25 if he hadn't just graduated. Um. And then the Ricky Henderson trade in 1984 might have been close. The A's sent Ricky Henderson and Burt Bradley in cash to the Yankees, and they got one outfielder, three righties, and a lefty. And the four of those five guys would have been in the Yankees' top five, probably would have been two top 100s if they were top 100 list back. I don't think Baseball America started doing that until like 1990 or something. Um, it's probably the closest that you would get to a Juan Soto deal was the Ricky Henderson trade to the Yankees. Um, when you look at like pitching trades, kind of the same boat. Um, the Royals did a uh, Zach Greinke trade in 2010, uh, and they sent like they got Lorenzo Cain, Alcides Escobar, Jacob Rizzi, and Jeremy Jeffress. So it was uh, one top 100, two young big leaguers that had just graduated, and a previous. Top 100. So like four top 100 prospect quality players, but still one fewer than what went to the Padres. I'm sorry, than what the Padres sent to the Nationals. So not a ton of precedent for this, but it's difficult to make historical comparisons. And the big thing is 
so much of this depends on the Nationals doing a good job of developing these players, getting them to the big league level, and ultimately getting major league value out of them. Because prospects are great, but if you don't use them either at the big league level or to get as trade pieces to get other big league players, then what's the point of the prospects, right? So it's going to kind of depend on what the Nationals do with these prospects, with Gore and Abrams and Hassel and Wood and Susana. And then I think the trade is the trade whether or not the Padres re-sign Soto. Because thought process is he's going to go to to free agency. Boris is going to take him to free agency. They want to be the first $500 million player. So maybe the Padres have a better chance to re-sign him than anybody else, but he feels like a guy that's destined for free agency no matter what. So I think you make this trade, irregardless of whether or not he's signed long-term, you have two and a half years of Juan Soto. That's worth more than any specific prospect. Now, there is a certain package where at that size, you might feel like that's too much to give up. But Juan Soto is worth more than any one specific prospect. Amazing week, you guys. Tons of um, just tons of stuff going on with the trade deadline. Reminder, mailbag is on Monday. If you have questions for the show, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. The show's on Twitter at Locked On Farm. Or you can email us, LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com. Until then, this has been Locked On MLB Prospects. Um.